You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. The Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who have never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts. Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss, and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, Pastor Bruss, I am so delighted to be with you to listen to these uh, sermon clips that I have for you. I don't know if you're going to be delighted by it. Because... Well, we'll see. We'll see. I, I But it's uh, it's been a long time since we've been able to do this, and it's good to get back to it. Absolutely. And, you know, the conversation that we were just having before I pushed record, it's on Gregory the Great and his pastoral emphasis and all of these different things that we were talking about that he writes Man, everything's getting ready to change right now. We're we're gonna go back down to like I wouldn't even say junior high. We're gonna, unfortunately, just kind of go down to uh, like elementary things. Okay, well, let's go. <laughs> now let me let me set this up by saying this. You know that I listen to a bevy of evangelical sermons, and what I am finding is that there is such little being said. Now, granted, COVID has hit, and a lot of these churches are still just having an online presence, so they're without that audience interaction, which, you know, takes it down a notch, but that's all right. I'm not necessarily looking for... You mean it's more like a Lutheran sermon then? <laughs> well, well, right, yeah, right. right. <laughs> In the sense that people aren't responding. Right, yeah, right. right. So, uh, but we're looking for content and what people are saying, and I just can't find anything to bring to the table because it is so vapid. Hmm. However, I did do a search, and not only do I listen to sermons, but actually there are people who, uh, who send me sermons to listen to and for us to consider to critique. One day, I just typed in, Thrive. Thrive Church. I just thought, find some crazy name and see what you got. The first one came up. It's a church in Colorado, Thrive Church. And uh, I just started listening to their sermons. And I have four sermons for us to listen to, just clips, not the entirety, because we really don't need to listen to the entirety of them. We just kind of listen to them, set it up, use the scriptures, 
And obviously, they're going to use the scriptures in wrong ways to set up the rest of what they're going to say. Now, you remember how we were talking about what guys were saying at the beginning of 2020 in regard to this is going to be a great year. I mean, the year is called 2020. Right. So a it's lot a vision of these guys, yes, all this sort of stuff, yes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was the first sermon I went to. Like, what did this Yahoo say at the beginning of 2020? <laughs> before, before he had a clue what was hitting, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we're going to listen to okay. first. Good. Morning, Thrive Church. Hey, it's 2020. I cannot believe it's 2020. Uh, but we are so excited and looking forward to this year with incredible, incredible anticipation. We are in a brand new series called My Breakthrough Year. I'll get into that in just a second. And in in two weeks, we're going to be starting another series called Rooted. And I am so excited about Rooted because for two reasons. One, it's a series that is all about seeking God and rooting ourselves in the will of God. And it is a series where we begin to talk about taking the next step towards a permanent facility. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And so that is starting in two weeks. I, I'm, so, I'm so thrilled. We're going to be kicking off some prayer and fasting. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I really want to ask you to, to uh, during the whole series of Rooted, just commit, make a commitment. It's 2020. People are making commitments. I want to encourage you, let, let's commit to uh, come to church and, and prioritize this series as I think it's uh, the most important moment at Thrive since we launched the church seven years ago. This is a big deal. I'm so excited about that. And then after that series, we're going to do a series on relationships. And so I I love that. I I love doing that. But um, today, we're we're talking about my breakthrough year. And I have, uh, I got a bow and arrow here. By the way, this is a Nerf bow and arrow. Okay, this is a dude perfect Nerf bow and arrow with a soft tip that has been looked at by the police officer. Okay, so anyways, we're good, we're good, okay. Um, But there's a quote that I love. I love this quote. It says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Zig Ziglar said that. But one thing I know is that my breakthrough year is going to happen when we hit the target that God has for us. And I believe that God has an incredible target for you to hit this year. This is not just another year where we just go through the motions. And by, by the way, I don't think God ever wants us to just live and go through the motions. But God has something for you this year. He has something amazing for you this year. And he's done some things in the past. Maybe some of you guys are like, last year was amazing. Last year was horrible. I'm not sure where you fall. But here's what I know is that in 2020, God wants to do something incredible in your heart and in your life. Well, I can tell you're already a little exasperated, Pastor Bross. I'm totally exasperated. So let, let's just do a little, <clears throat> a little exercise here. You need here. to pace yourself, man. <laughs> <laughs> so you get done reading the, the Old Testament lesson or the epistle lesson, Pastor Kearns in the divine service, you do it, right? You're the, you're the lector. What do you say at the end of the epistle or the Old Testament? This is the word of the Lord. Oh, good. All right. And when you read the gospel lesson, what do you say at the end of the gospel lesson? This is the gospel of the Lord. 
Mm. And then when the preacher gets into the pulpit and wants to focus on, say, one or two uh, verses of the scripture that has been read, he, he might you know read it, and then he says, let us pray, and he says, um, he says, these are your words, Holy Father, sanctify us in the truth, your word is truth. What is the sermon based on in a, in a Lutheran church? Jesus. Yeah, and his word, right? His word? Right. Right. So what is this sermon based on that we're listening to? You. No, Zig Ziglar. Well, yeah, it's you and Zig Ziglar, right? <laughs> so the other one is Jesus and his word. This one is you and Zig Ziglar. I mean, I cannot believe that you would begin a sermon with a quotation from a, what you just explained to me was a motivational speaker. I, I, I was unaware of who Zig Ziglar was. It's, it's flabbergasting. And I, I can't remember who said this. But I thought this was so incredible. When you go to a church, take a piece of paper, write down the pastor, the church, you, and Jesus right at the top. And so just make a check under each column. And a lot of times in these American evangelical churches, as we've already heard, you know, the emphasis is upon the church and uh, what God is doing with our church. And then it's upon the pastor and how the pastor is doing these spiritual things. Jesus rarely... And he makes, you, a, makes a cameo appearance. Uh, right, yeah, right. right. Yeah. So this is what we've already already heard. But I will say, in his defense, he's getting ready to get to the biblical text. It's like, okay. it does like, it, he's setting this up. Well, that's interesting, and the the other thing that that I'm that I'm struck by is the kind of um, it, it strikes me as arrogance or something like that to say that I believe that God has an amazing year in store for you. You know how how many people in that audience? Well, I mean, let's just let's just play the year out, right? How many people in that audience lost their job because of COVID? How many people in that audience got COVID? Got COVID and died. How many people in that audience uh, had a loved one killed in a car crash or themselves were killed in a car crash? What, you know, whatever the case might be, you know, I think it's important for us to notice and, and um, that, he, that he, what he's talking about in terms of, of an incredible year, what is it? It's moving to a new facility, correct? It's not uh, having the, the Lord's gospel really applied to a soul that's crushed by sin. Wow. And he has clarity for you. The title of this message is 2020, the year of clarity. 2020, the year of clarity. And in the book of Habakkuk, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, this is an amazing, amazing story. It's almost like God handcrafted a perfect scripture for 2020. I mean, this is, this is about as good as it gets. This is an incredible passage in Habakkuk chapter 2, but it's a book in the Old Testament, and Habakkuk, Habakkuk was a, he was a prophet. This was around 600 BC, and I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this off. This is what it says in verse 1, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. So three thoughts, 2020, the year 
of clarity. Number one, we need to hear with clarity before we can hit with accuracy. We need to hear with clarity before we can hit with accuracy. We need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear what the Lord says. Because so many times we, we can think about um, maybe some goals or some things that we want to go after, but, but how many know we don't, need to look, we don't need to look to America to tell us what our goals should be? The American dream doesn't have to be our goals. I believe God has something more specific, something more alive, something more on purpose, something more spiritual than, than that. He's got something for you. So one thing that's amazing about this passage is Habakkuk, he had to actually make the effort to climb up to the watchtower. I think a lot of times we can think about waiting on the Lord and we can be like um, so busy we don't spend time to connect with the Lord. But then we're like, God, I'm waiting for you. Why aren't you speaking? What, what's going on? What, what are you doing? And but Habakkuk, he took the time, he took the effort to climb to the watchtower, stand at the guard, guard post and wait and wait until God was speaking. He, he didn't want to just say, you know, this is what I'm feeling, thus saith the Lord. Those of you that have been in church a long, long time, you might have heard that. It's just people can say, thus saith the Lord, and it might not be thus saith the Lord. But he, what he did is he waited to actually hear from the Lord. Hearing from the Lord today is, is reading the Bible it's praying, it's worshiping, it's listening to sermons. You gotta understand, before this book was written, this was before a printing press. This is before the New Testament. This is before people had Bibles. And so in the Old Testament, you would have prophets who would hear from God and declare it to the people. But I'm so glad that Jesus came to this earth. I'm so glad I own God's word. And here's one thing that you have to understand is the Bible is God's voice. Okay, so this is good, right? So what are the what are the couple good things that he said here that you would that you would say give him props for? Well, that he said that God's word is God's word to us, right? So the scriptures are the voice of God. I think is what he said is how he put it, and I think that was a good thing. Even though I want to stop and praise him here and agree with him, you know, he's already set this thing up about Habakkuk, as he calls him going up to the tower and giving effort, right? This is an underlying theme that in order to have this clarity, this 2020 vision for the new year, there's some effort on your part. So he's already set that up. That That is something that we can't deny. Good. And and it's interesting where, where the, what the end goal is. Uh, the end goal here is to get clarity, for the year 2020. So why are we to listen to God's word? Well, so that we can get clarity for the year 2020, which is a a really weird goal for listening to the word of God. So what do you think should be the goal for listening to the word of God? The goal that the scriptures give, that themselves give, right? Uh, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so... So so faith is certainly an end goal for listening. Absolutely. Going to heaven. Thank you. That's the one that I'm thinking of. Screw 2020. Right. Screw 2021. Right. I want to go to heaven. Yeah. Keep me in the faith. Um, The other thing that I think he deserves props for is, um, you know, he went after something that we've heard oftentimes in modern evangelicalism, the idea that uh, whatever you hear inside of you is God's speech to you. And 
and he he demolished that. I thought it was great. <laughs> but see, I know what's coming up. Okay. And okay. So, yeah. Yes, okay. you're right. Here's the problem. Yes, he demolished it, but he's going to pick it up here in just a few moments. Okay. Meaning he's going to refer to something that is not external, i.e. the word of God coming to him. He's going to refer to something internal. Very interesting. On, on his part, internal and to him? Oh, absolutely. So it's been revealed to him. Correct. Gotcha. The Bible is God's voice, and so for me, hearing from the Lord, 90 to 95% of the time, I hear from the Lord through the Bible. When I read the Bible, then there's certain passages that will leap off the pages, and I'm like, I know for a fact that is for, that is direction for me. 5 to 10% of the time, I'll hear a prompting from the Lord on the inside. It's like my spirit just knows this is from the Lord. But I want you to know that that's probably like 5 to 10% of the time. You see what I'm saying? I totally do. He was he was firmly seated on right. the horse there and right. now, now he's leaning over. Right. But the only saddles. five only 5%. 5 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is shocking in a way, right? That you number one that you can quantify it, right? <laughs> and um oh boy. Here's the deal. The devil can do a lot of damage with 5 to 10%, now can he? He can do a lot of damage with 0.1%. Oh, oh! All right, so this is going to go off the rails, huh? Exactly. All right. right there. Yep. Now, I, again, as I told you earlier, I've spliced out some things, but it doesn't change what I've taken out. Any of our listeners could, if they they want to know where it is, uh, just, just type in Thrive Church and look for 2020 Clarity, and you can listen to the sermon in toto. But what I have taken out does not change anything that he believes and that he's really communicating. Like, he goes on to talk about, here are three times this past week that the Lord spoke to me through his word. I listened to those, and I thought, well, yeah, he's, he's right on, because it was, thus saith the Lord. But then he starts getting into other areas where it's this 5 to 10% that the Lord has laid on his heart. Good. And, and I would say that even here, in, in just focus, zooming in on Habakkuk 2.1, is kind of weird in the sense that, number one, he's ripped it totally out of context. So Habakkuk, Habakkuk has come to the Lord with a complaint, uh, and his complaint is this. Why is it, uh, and we hear it in the Psalms all the time, why is it that the wicked prosper and the and the saints are you know crushed crushed exactly it's an earnest desire to know the answer to this question for the sake of his listeners that Habakkuk you know goes up to this tower and waits for the word of the Lord okay to give some more context to our listeners about Habakkuk God is going to answer him by saying I'm bringing judgment right Not clarity. No, not clarity. Not clarity. Not prosperity. No. I am bringing judgment. Correct. And you, between the, uh, what we've recorded here, uh, you were making a very interesting mention about the fact that these saints had what they needed. They didn't need the printing press. They didn't need an entire 60, a catalog of 66 books of the Bible. They had enough to know who God was, what God was about, what God was going to do. Because it was proclaimed orally 
And that's that's what was going on in the whole patriarchal period and heavily, I mean, super heavily, even during the prophetic period. Um, but so I, just the truth, the truth that the Lord reveals to Habakkuk in his quandary is one that St. Paul cites from the Old Testament. But vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Wait so a Lord, second. The Lord says, cool your jets, Habakkuk. I've got this taken care of. I, I'm going to smite the evildoers. But didn't Don Lamont on CNN just get through saying that God is not a God who brings judgment? I I am so oblivious to uh, <laughs> to what's happening in the news. Fair enough. Yeah. So when God tells Habakkuk that judgment is coming and I'm going to smite the evildoers, what God is going to specifically tell him is, write this on, he's going to say a tablet, but essentially it's like a billboard. Write it really big so that people will see, and then what I want you to do is I want you to run. That, that is the context of these verses that this pastor is highlighting. Right. It has nothing to do with 2020 being a great year no. and a year of clarity and no. vision. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes you, you could be thinking, okay, Pastor Jake just walks around and he's like, oh, it, it, the Lord's speaking to Jacob. Jacob, I want you to eat at Burger King. <laughs> yes, Lord, I hear you. I, want, I, I wanted a Whopper. Thank you. Um, and so sometimes we can think that, and listen, I, hey, God can speak. He can speak it in any way that he wants, but he speaks to me mostly through the word. And sometimes I feel like he speaks to me directly in my spirit, in my heart. So again, he just says it again here. This is that 5 to 10%. Yeah. That again, this is why it's so difficult to listen to something like this. He just got through, as you said, demolishing listening to the Lord speak to you from your heart. But it lives, it lives. And he paints it up. He, it's like he's putting lipstick on the pig. Like, I can remember one of the sermons we listened to early on, maybe years ago, about the, the pastor who, who got a revelation from the Lord. To go it's to your one favorite. Rest, yeah. It's Randy one, Hand. One restaurant versus another, right? That, that, is tr that really trivializes the claim that the Lord speaks to you directly. People should understand that our, our critique here isn't the trivialization of that. It's the fact that. The claim that the Lord speaks, you know, directly to the, to these to these guys, and as you have pointed out many times, rightly, if the Lord has actually spoken directly to them, guess where it needs to be written down in the back of their Bible on the white page. Correct. But let me highlight one more thing before we continue. Today's American Christianity is an internal religion. It's not external. Even when you give some sort of credence to it being external, like this guy has just done, at the end of the day, it is primarily internal. And I, I want to unpack this. I think what you're saying is that today's evangelicalism finds God on the inside, not on the outside. He sits on the throne room of their own heart. Okay. This is why the emphasis is not placed upon baptism. Correct. This is why the emphasis is not placed upon the sacrament of the altar and what's on that altar coming to us from the outside. 
This is why there is no emphasis of the office of the keys, no drive for someone else to absolve you of all of your sins in the stead and by the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Word of God, it's important, but 5 to 10%, it's coming from within. Right, and those get prized. Those, those, that 5 to 10% is prized above the revealed Word of God. No doubt. Yeah. So let's push this a little bit further. I think this is a very uh, astute and interesting critique. At the end of the day, then, American evangelicalism is not about the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation. It is about feel what feeling good on the inside or um, feeling empowered. Uh, God's favor upon you, blessing, discerned from the inside, and quite apart from how God has revealed that he wants to interact with sinners, which right. is by forgiving their sins. Well, and also, too, being tied to physical things. This right. is a really hard thing for the American evangelical to understand. God himself ties himself to physical things. And you hear it all the time. Don't put your God in a box. Mm-hmm. Well, don't it. God is the one who put himself in a box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant. There's a box for you. <laughs> right, sure, yeah. He said, this is where you find me. And I'm always going to be tied to physical things. But because of the emphasis of the internal religion, this, what we're talking about here is foreign. Hmm. It is foreign to the American evangelical. And as you've said many times before, Jesus is one with dirty fingernails. This is not the Jesus of the American evangelical. He doesn't like to touch stuff, you're saying. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though he yeah. made the stuff. Well, he made the stuff, and he said, I'm going to use it. That I'm, I'm praying that this is, this is a breakthrough year for you, that this is not just business as usual. The things that you've been praying about, that, you, that God begins to give you answers, that there is breakthrough, that there is there's breakthrough internally that happens. I'm believing that God does incredible things in your life. But I believe that what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to press in. If we're, going to, if we're going to believe God for a year unlike any other year we've ever had, then we're going to have to press in. And as we press in, he's going to speak to us. And so this is what I do. Here's three things that I do in the beginning of a new year. One thing I do- Okay, I cut him off there because it really doesn't matter what he does at the beginning of a new year. I mean, he's going to talk about how he fasts in the month of January and how he looks for God to give him a word for the year. This is a big thing in evangelical circles. You look for the word of the year. Then how he and his wife go on a vision retreat, and they have a vision retreat for their church and for their home life and for each one of their kids and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really matter. But this goes back to the point that I was trying to make in how Habakkuk, you know, He strives to go up this watchtower. This is him striving and working to hearing from God and receiving clarity. So forcing God's hand, you could say, in one one respect. I'm doing all this. All I'm asking you is to give me clarity. Just just give me a word. Yep. One of the things that just dawned on me is if 2020 is the year kind of above all years, what happens to these poor people in 2021 and 20—is it just like— you know, we should do it again. Just, so it's going to be the better year. Every oh. year is better than the next. Of course. Yeah. So th- what's interesting about that is that it, it, there's this kind of um, 
what's baked into this theology is a kind of sense of progress, which is a very enlightenment um, kind of thing, really not Christian at all, in which, frankly, uh, in Israel, history is cyclical. Uh, you have these cyclical patterns very clearly in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. You can see that all over the place, First and Second Samuel, um, number one. Number two, uh, yeah, there is, a, there is an eschatological horizon, but the good stuff is, the good stuff comes at the eschaton, not right now. And the world just grows increasingly evil and wicked. But you know this. I mean, the reason that that happens, that the emphasis is getting better and better while we're here, is because they're theologians of glory and not theologians of the cross. You're right. That's great. Let's connect this to what you said earlier, that they abhor God working through things. And and yet they're kind of the place where God works out his goodness is here on earth. For a Lutheran, God works through things— um, and where he consummates his goodness is in the eternal realms. It's flip-flopped. Totally. So, friends, I, I want to want to say we've got to seek God together in 2020. Again, this is what Habakkuk is saying. He says, I will climb to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. So we need to hear with clarity before we can hit with accuracy. But there's more to 2020 than just to hear it. I think hearing it is huge, but God didn't just stop at I want you to hear something. Check this out, Habakkuk 2 verse 2. This is a famous verse. It says, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Like, is this a self-help thing? Is this write the vision down? Isn't this like writing my goals down? Is it, what's going on? Is this a self-help concept? Well, let me ask you a question, Thrive Church. Could it be possible that people pulled biblical principles and called them self-help? I mean, this originated from the Word of God, and the whole idea of writing down some things that God is speaking to you is right here in Habakkuk 2, verse 2. Lord have mercy. Did you catch that? That I, that that I, I totally caught it. So 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 what he, what Habakkuk is supposed to do is write this horrifying judgment down on tablets to warn the people, and right? the people are supposed to read it and get out of dodge. That's exactly right. Right, but that is not the way he is taking it. Oh my! It is write the vision, i.e., God speaks to you. And want you to address certain things in your life. Which are biblical principles. So you, you write down biblical principles. Become a better father. Mm-hmm. Uh, become a better, what it is, he talks about, become a better husband. So we got to write this down. This is a big thing within a certain aspect or element or demographic of American evangelicalism. And they're called vision boards. And it's from this? Is it from oh, Habakkuk? Yeah. Oh, my. If God wants you to work on X, Y, and Z, I'm not kidding. You get magazines and you cut pictures out of magazines that focus on X, Y, and Z. If you're looking for a new home, if you're looking for a new car, pay off your car, get out of school debt, whatever. You you go and you make this vision board, and then you mount it in your house. He even talks about it. I cut it out. 
because I can explain it to mm-hmm. you a lot quicker mm-hmm. than their storyboard that they have in their house and where it is and who made it and blah, blah, blah. But it all comes from the text. Yes, the text ripped out of context. context. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Can, can I read the end of Habakkuk? Let's hear it. So he goes, Habakkuk goes on for th- really two chapters uh, talking about the utter destruction that the Lord is going to unleash. And at the very end, at the very end, and this, the, this, is, this is the gospel, this is the theology of the cross. This is what he says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That's it. So what is Habakkuk actually advocating? He's advocating faith in the midst of adversity. And the reason that the Lord has Habakkuk write this down so that everybody can see it is so that the faithful will be warned. Now, it's just like I mean, there's, this has happened so many times in the Scriptures. My, my first uh, thought goes to Lot and his family. When they are warned by angels that the Lord is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, there are some who look at Lot and think of him as jesting. He's just joking right, around. Right. They don't come out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They face the judgment of God, and they die. And the list goes on and on. Right. Noah, Pharaoh. Right. Right. And so the faithful hear the word of God. Wasn't internal. No, it's proclaimed by the prophet. Exactly. And they flee. No different than the text that we read at the end of the church year, where it talks about how when you see the abomination of desolation, don't go back and get your cloak. Don't go back and get your stuff. Flee. It's kind of a... A repeated theme, wouldn't you say? Right, because in the Hebrew way of thinking, or in the biblical way of thinking, history repeats itself. Uh, And that's because of the inveterate wickedness of man on the one hand and the long-suffering mercy of God on the other. Well, as I said, we don't need to listen to how he seeks God for clarity because he's so off base. It doesn't matter. He, he could have said, I go and I ride my bike 10 miles a day. But what he's doing is he's wanting the people to now go back to our columns early on. It's either we talk about the church, we talk about the pastor, we talk about you, or we talk about Jesus. Who is he wanting the people to follow, Jesus or himself? Himself. Right. For the benefit of whom? The church. Correct? Yeah. I mean, it, and we have not heard anything about Jesus yet. No. Have we? I, I mean, and I know you cut out stuff in the sermon, so it Jesus could have shown up. Yeah. But in these salient clips, right, um, about the point of the sermon, we haven't heard a thing about Jesus or the redemption in his blood. But there's three things within that short sentence that I think are critical. Number one is to write it down, write the vision. So what do we need to do? We need to hear from the Lord, but then we need to write it down. I've heard it said that up to 42%, you're more likely to follow through with a goal if it's written down. 
So you got to write the vision. The second thing you have to do is make it clear, not complicated. It says write the vision and make it plain. We've got to make it plain. We've got to make it really clear. When we, when we hear from the Lord, we need to, okay, God, how, how, are we, how is this really clear? How is this actionable? What, what's going on here? So here's some examples. Um, Again, who cares about his examples? Now let's go back to the text. What was the word that God gave Habakkuk? to write on the tablet. It's really one word. It's so, it's really clear. What is that? What is that one word? Judgment? Run. Oh, run, run, run. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. That's what he yeah, says. Yeah. Run. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Get yep. out of Dodge. I mean, there's a, there's a series of woes that come. Which is typically the rationale for judgment. Correct. But he has, see, you called it early on. I didn't, I didn't put this together. But this all stems from the Zig Ziglar comment at the beginning. That, that's really the theme. I mean, as we talk about having a theme for our sermons, that really was the theme. And so, so you build from that Zig Ziglar theme. You find some obscure passage that you rip out of context. This is a TED Talk for what? What did you call it? Strategic goal planning. Planning, right. yeah. Yeah. We were just doing this uh, as a as a board exercise for Topeka Lutheran School, and you know, did the, you use Habakkuk? I mean, did you no, know we, that? We, did, we did not use Habakkuk? <laughs> no, um, but we recognized that we were doing a very left hand kind of thing that can be informed by our faith and should be informed by our faith, but is is not a direct revelation from the Lord. So, for example, one of the things that we set was a goal to increase. annually, the number of children from our congregations who attend Topeka Lutheran School. That is not a revelation from the Lord. What? That's just using our gray matter to figure out what would be good for the school and good for the parishes. (laughs) Okay, fair. But would you ever consider preaching that from the pulpit? No. To your congregation? No. On Sunday morning? No. Absolutely not. You're like a dinosaur, Pastor Bross. I mean, you're just really. Uh... Well, what's what's in, as we've been listening to this, I have been thinking about you know since since Lent started um, was at the 14th of February. We're a, a month into Lent. We are, you know, how many sermons into Lent? Um, uh, eight, nine sermons into Lent, easily. Um, the record of preaching that has been laid down in this congregation. I would just, if you're listening to this kind of schlock. I invite you to go to the St. John's Topeka webpage and just lit St. John's Topeka.org. We don't believe that we're the greatest preachers in the world, but we believe we're faithful and listen to the difference between the kind of preaching you hear in a Lutheran pulpit and the kind of schlock that you may be listening to in your own congregation. Now that's a great, great point. And actually it's going to, we want to let uh, the pastor here kind of finish up because It's gone off the rails ever since he listens to things from his own heart. But he's going to preach a sermon that we're going to hear. We're only going to hear just a few minutes of it. But it caught my attention because, interestingly enough, this was the text that I used just a couple weeks ago. So, you know, again, our listeners can, they could go to Thrive Church, whatever it is in Colorado, and listen to this sermon called Break the Box. 
And then they could go to St. John's Topeka and listen to the sermon that I gave regarding the exact same text. And you just tell the difference. It's what was really the text? Easy. The text is where the woman goes in and she breaks the box, the alabaster box, okay, to anoint our you. Lord. Okay, so this was the, uh, if people are doing this, this sermon will be midweek Lent 1, the 24th of February. So this, this verse, write the vision. So we're going to write it down. We're going to make it plain. And the last thing talks about on tablets. See, I think this is about posting your vision. Because a tablet was most likely inscribed in stone. It was not hidden in a scroll somewhere. But it was posted on a tablet. So here's where he goes on and talks about those, these vision boards. You need to keep God's revelation before you at all times. Have you, do you have a vision board, Pastor Bros? No, no, I don't have a vision board. I, I'm just, um, I, I'm saddened by this. I'm really saddened to, to hear this kind of thing and to think about the number of people. If this is typical practice uh, on the first sermon for January to, um, you know, cast your vision for the year and use scripture like a wax nose, I, it, it's heartbreaking actually to think about um, where this leads all the people who are listening to it. Do you think anybody went home and they got out their magazines to take their poster board and they cut out global pandemic or germs or masks or... Social, so, social, social upheaval. Yeah, right. yeah, and confusion. I mean, I'll be the first one to say, and maybe it's because I didn't do what uh, the Yahoo here is telling us to do. 2020 was a year of confusion. There, w- there was no clarity other than what was happening at our church. I mean, if you look at the news, it's like it's designed to make you completely unstable and confused. And that's all it was. And that's not stopped. It still is very confusing. No, but how much better for and apropos for 2020 would this whole sermon have been if he had read through the end of verse 2? The pandemic was a great warning. The social upheaval was a great warning. The the number of deaths, not just in America, but all over the world. A great warning of the Lord. So run, get, which is to say, repent. Amen. But that's not, that's not, I bet that's not on anybody's storyboard or vision board. The last thought. So it says, then the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. Watch this. Last thought here, that he may run who reads it. If 2020 is going to be the year of clarity, it's not just going to be something we hear. It's not just going to be something we post. We write down. But number three, we're going to live with urgency. We're going to live with urgency. That's what it means to run. We've taken everything in this sermon and... Totally changed it, haven't we? Even running. He, running now becomes uh, just doing what God tells us to do with intensity. So he has changed everything in the scriptures. Does that make you feel better? You said you were sad earlier, is it? No, I'm, I'm sad. I'm even sadder. And, <laughs> and, I'm, and, you know, I think I was surprised that he actually got to the run verse because I thought he's got to leave this off because if he, if he puts it in, 
if he includes it, he's going to end up shooting himself in the foot. Well, I'm, that is so hilarious that you said that. You're exactly right. But at this church, his wife is just as important as he is. He's not the senior pastor. It's, it's pastors, and it's Jacob, and I believe her name is Hannah. And Hannah is going, she, she makes a regular uh, appearance at the pulpit of Thrive Church. Now, in this context that we're going to listen to her, she, she's at a woman's conference. But she's going to do exactly what you said. She's going to leave out a little portion of the text that she's focusing on that totally changes what she says if she includes it. But she's not going to include it. And what I'm saying to you is, like he does it, she does it too. I look forward to hearing this. I don't think you do. Well, we'll do that in just a second. Let's let, uh, let's let Jacob here wrap up. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. You need to read it, and you need to run. So it's clear. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run. I'm going to run with urgency. I'm going to run towards the Lord with more urgency in 2020, and I'm going to run for the Lord with urgency in 2020. Last verses, Habakkuk 2, verse 3, message translation. This is amazing. Watch this. It says, this, this vision, this vision message is, is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. What God's saying it is the breakthrough is right around the corner it says it doesn't lie it seems slow in coming if it seems slow in coming wait again we're we're active waiting we're pressing in we're seeking the lord i believe that god wants to give you a breakthrough year and that you're going to be fully alive fully alive to jesus fully alive to your purpose fully alive to your calling being the man you were called to be the woman you were called to be the teenager you were called to be i'm fully awake i'm not on autopilot sleeping here i'm fully awake to god's plans and his purpose in jesus name would you bow your heads close your eyes no we're not going to let you pray for us but uh isn't that wild like breakthrough or judgment i mean what is what is Habakkuk receiving from the Lord. What message? A vision of judgment. Pathetic. Well, as I said earlier, his wife, boy, she uh, she's got more chops than uh, than her husband. Really? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, she she brings it. Okay. With intensity. You mean rhetorical chops? You're saying? Okay. Yes. All right. But I find it interesting. You remember how Jacob here said that he, he receives 5 to 10% of words from the Lord that come from the inside? Well, that is exactly, exactly what Hannah starts out with. The 5 to 10%? Something that comes from the inside. Okay, good. Yep. All right. 
All right, well, I got a word in my heart, and if you all know me, if there's a word in my heart, we're going to meet some Jesus here this afternoon, so I want to share my word, and maybe the heels will stay on, or they might need to come off. We'll just see what Jesus is about to do, but I want to send you out with a word here today, a word that I believe God has gifted my heart for you, and we're going to even create a moment to respond and end in worship, because as I thought about this day, I knew there were so many amazing things that God God was going to gift to your heart and your life. But months ago, when this day was finalized and was put on paper and I knew we were going to gather at the Paramount, I heard the Holy Spirit say, I am going to gift a new heart to every woman who gathers. A new heart. Say new heart. A new heart. And I'm here to prophesy to you here today. That's not a weird word. That doesn't need to need to be a religious word. A prophetic word is a word that speaks to your future. It speaks to where you are going, not to where you've been. And I've got a word from heaven, and I want to speak a prophetic word, a word to what awaits you from the moment you step outside of these doors, what you are going to walk into, and how you are going to walk out. And I am here to remind you of who your God is this afternoon, how faithful he is, how good he is, how he has got you in the palm of his hands, and he is working everything together for your good in your life. I want you to know today that because you have experienced the presence of God, you cannot leave the same. That means when you step foot out of this building, everything that has demanded fear from you, everything that has demanded anxiety, fret, worry, concern, or stress, it cannot, it is incapable of demanding the same amount of attention from you. You have experienced the presence of God, and that makes you change. I want to remind you tonight of God's goodness. I want to remind you that he desires for you to not just leave free, but my friends, he desires for you today to leave fully free, fully free, fully experiencing the new work that he has begun in you. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 is our passage of scripture that I want to bring this word to you from. And it says, this is God speaking to you. Take this word for you and your heart here today. Okay. She's, she comes out of the gate, man, with, uh, you know, guns blazing here. She comes out of the gate saying that this word that she has, where did it come from? It came from the Lord in her heart. Right. So this goes back to her husband's 5 to 10%. Now, maybe maybe old Hannah here operates at 30 to 50%. Who knows? Sounds like she might. <laughs> she starts with what wells up in her heart. Now she goes looking for a passage that somewhat gives credence to what the Lord, in scare quotes, has already told her in her heart. Is that what you that's kinda, are, that's are kinda, picking up? Yep, that's kind of how I see it. And she, you know, interestingly, she did weave quite a bit of scripture, uh, scriptural allusion into what she said. Which I think, and she doesn't know she's doing this, but I think that's a manipulation technique. So t- tell me a little bit more. Well, she's dropping in all of these correct verses, and what it, what it means is you can trust what I'm saying. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust the vision that I've had or the the word that I've received in my heart. Yeah. Yep. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your stony heart, and I will give you a new heart. Let's read that again. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. I will give you, the women of Flourish, a new heart, and I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your stony heart, and I will give you a new heart. The first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I will give you a new heart. That is the first part of Ezekiel chapter 36. I will give. Someone say give. (laughs) How about give me a break? How's that? Oh, what is the so... one thing you were following along in the scriptures? And this is a very familiar text, especially to Lutherans. What is the one thing, Pastor Bros? There's just one thing that she she goes straight to the new heart and she forgets just the one little thing well, that she comes for... before that. What is that? Oh, well, before it. So this, you know, let's let's get it contextually. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Oh, yes, right. It's baptismal and. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now, this is interesting. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, back to baptism, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So you've already so said it. law and gospel stuff in there. Well, it's baptism. Correct. Right? Specifically the water. I mean, what made me perk up as I was having to endure this entire I don't know, what would you call it? This talk, talk let's just do talk. that, because it is at a women, woman's conference. She never mentions the water. Does she mention the uncleanness? Or does she mention the sin? I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating this is not going to be a law and gospel sermon Gosh. in any meaningful sense of the term. You're right. Okay. But my so, point is, is if she would have read just what you read, right. it it totally changes what... What she's saying, and it actually is the correct interpretation. You right. said it best. This is a baptismal text. But she leaves that part out. Totally. And she's using the text, again, as a cipher for a self-help piece of advice. Correct. Which, for these women who are all gathered together, this will resonate, as you might imagine. Sure. Who doesn't want to get better? Why is a new heart gifted? Why would God put a word in my spirit months before I knew who would even gather that Hannah? Every woman who's there, I will gift her if she receives it. A new heart. Why? Well, here's the answer, I think. I'm not talking at you. I'm just here to journey in God with you here this afternoon. But this is an answer that my spirit comes to is he is gifting us a new heart because there is a new good work he intends to bring into your life. Mm. So not only is this word from Hannah off base, but the explanation of the word from Hannah, that's off base too. I don't get. uh... When do you receive a new heart? In your baptism. But she is going to make it out like God is constantly giving out new hearts. Well, and, and to, he... D- to the same individual. And he d- but he does, through, he does through the daily renewal of baptism, right? I mean, but she never there, mentions baptism. No, she doesn't mention baptism. So this is not, right, this is not connected in, in any way to the, to the water and the spirit. Even though the text clearly says that it is. What is the new work? I, well, I guess we have to discover that. But that must be like how I'm going to become awesome in, is that right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
I've got new life. I want to take that thing that has paralyzed or stopped your heart, and I want to remove it because that's not what I have for you. I have something new for you, a new work, a new heart to gift you. We have to get a new heart when the current heart becomes damaged. Man, this life can damage, can it? You can walk through things, and before you know it, it's damaged the fruitfulness and the effectiveness of your spiritual heart. And it's like, why is, just, why is just doing life so challenging? Why is just believing God so hard? What happened to that passion that was once there? Why, why is my faith weak? Why is my passion small? It's because we can go through life, and things can damage it. Wounds, offense, betrayal, hurt, unforgiveness. And my friends, I'm here to tell you today, God has brought you here to say, I see it. and I know it and I know that fear is real and I know that won't happen but we don't have to stay here anymore I have a new heart for you and all I need you to say is yes yes I will freely take the free gift you are giving me and a new heart can begin are you with me the women of flourish they're not as excited as they need to be. And so she's got to trying to get them roused up yeah must be a rainy day (laughs) you know there's an affectation, a speech affectation that I yeah, noticed in her husband yeah, and yeah, in her, yeah. and then in that guy from Chicago. And what you do is you don't say the T on the end of a word. So God's going to reveal it. <laughs> I thought you were going to... I got a new heart. I thought you were going to talk about the... Um, it's this exhalation of air. Well, there's that too. Right, so so we've got two in between the sentences. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that there's there are these little affectations that are very unnatural to normal speech. It must be there must be somebody they're listening to that they're aping and getting the same affectation. But what would you say in regard to what she's saying? What what do you say to this? I mean, she's talking about. The everyday grind, as we would say as Lutherans, the grind of being in your vocation. There's no doubt that it wears you down. Sure. Or, or that, that it can. Well, it doesn't have to. That, that in your vocation, the devil, the world, and your own sinful flesh. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so what would you say rejuvenates? It's simply returning to the water of your baptism. And, and, and it's, you know, you pointed this out earlier. Uh, she has skipped over entirely in this thing. In, in Ezekiel 36, the forgiveness of sins. That, that's the thing. I mean, that's the, that's the, it's not just the central foundational thing. It's the, the continuous thing in the life of a Christian. That's what makes a Christian a Christian is the forgiveness of sins because it brings about faith. So she's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what her solution is to, to dealing with, well, she doesn't call it sin. So they're, it can't be forgiveness. Right. She doesn't mention that. It's just depression. The very interior, as you were saying earlier. A new work demands a new heart, and your God is ready to gift that to you today. The second part of Ezekiel chapter 36 says, it will says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, within you, and I will remove from you your stony heart. Let's talk about stones for a moment. Now, this is so, the text is so great that this is what the Lord does to us in baptism. This is what we teach the catechumens, as you know. It's like, 
You have to get this in your head. Who baptized you? Oh, Pastor Bross did. No. Who baptized you? Uh, Pastor Bross did. No. Who baptized you? God baptized you. He just used Pastor Bruss as a plain old piece of furniture, just like he always uses Pastor Bruss as a plain old piece of furniture. God is the one who did this great transformational work inside of a stony heart man. Forgives them of their sins, gives them a new heart. All of this gives them the Holy Spirit. After Peter preaches at Pentecost, they say, what must we do to be saved? What does he say in Acts 2.42, Pastor Bruss? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the? The gift of the Holy Spirit. And the the promise is is for who? For you and for your children and for those far off. My goodness. So this is a wonderful, wonderful, as you said earlier, gospel text. Right. But she's she's not, not talking about that. God wants to give you a new heart to prepare you for a new work. Right, and what are the stones? I'm I'm interested in finding out what these oh, stones are. Oh my goodness! Are. We they're, go they're into sins. no, no. We it's go not... into a story, and that's the story I've cut out. She talks about running on on the path at the greenway, and then gets onto the stones, and then she then she elaborates on what the stones are. Oh boy! Oh, and she takes her shoes off too. By the way. Oh, but at that point, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This isn't his desire for our life. There's been the path that you've been hanging on, and you're like, why do I feel this way? Wait, because you're hanging out on the stone of fear and the stone of anxiety and the stone of depression, and you're so used to running on your stones. This is just what you think the Christian walk should look like and feel like, and shouldn't it be hard? Shouldn't it be challenging? Shouldn't I feel like I'm striving and exhausted 24-7? No! (laughs) Did she go, no! Yeah, 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 yeah. But those are the stones. She's allegorized the stones. Sure. She's not not talking about how you're born dead in your sins and your trespasses. That's the stony heart. Right. Turned in upon yourself and turned completely away from God as not only a a rebel against God, but somebody who wants to kill God. And is dead as a stone. Right. Right. That's it. Yeah. But no, 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 no. And you called it. I mean, it's the stone of depression. It's the stone of fear, she says. The stone of, well, at this point, you can just put a blank and just whatever stone you want it to be. You know, and to to use her imagery, what she's done is she's taken the image of a stone, a stony heart, right? Which is a whole heart that's rock and turned it really into uh, the aggravation of a pebble in your shoe and really trivialized this text. And so God wants to give you a new heart to remove the pebble in your shoe so that you can do this great work for God. Right. Now, in a way, this is really not much different from what her husband preached in the sermon that we just heard. That if you do X, Y, and Z, you will receive fill in the blank. You'll mm-hmm. at, In his sermon, you'll receive clarity so as to be able to fulfill your purpose. She's doing the exact same formula, wouldn't you say? It seems like. But with a lot more gravitas. Do you think more gravitas? Dramatics? Dramatics, yeah. Yep. But you're right. I mean, I think it's the same pattern. And it's a self-help pattern, isn't it? Which explains American Christianity to a T. Well, this is the last clip that we have from her, and I know you're relieved to hear that. 
but this is weird what she's getting ready to say. How she, how she's going to wrap this whole hot mess up is just strange. I can't wait to hear. What if the very stones that have been under your feet, where you've been striving and struggling and running and weary, becoming actually letting them bring identity to who you are, fear, anxiety, struggle, whatever it might be. What if because of the spirit of God and God putting his spirit in you and gifting you a new heart, what if they shifted from under your feet to a place of praise? What if we got up off our knees and stopped striving to push and to move and to move that man and to move that child and to move that addiction? And what if we stood back and said, okay, God, because I am yours and you are mine, I say yes. Go ahead. Put a new spirit in me. Put a new heart in me. Begin a new work. And this is what's amazing. God, by his spirit, can take those very things that you've been down and pushing for years. Some of you, you've been pushing for years weeks, days, months, whatever it might be, and he can move them to a place that becomes an altar of praise, an altar of God's power, a place that represents his miracle working power in our life. And you can have the testimony of the very stones that I thought were present to destroy me became the very stones that got positioned into a place for me to bring my God praise. That is the power of a new heart, my friend. That is the power of a new spirit. The stones over under your feet have not been present to destroy you. They are there so that you can pick them up and build an altar. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I've only listened to it. I haven't watched it. But somehow or another, there's the visual of somebody who brought out a bunch of stones, obviously. And I'm not exactly sure how they did it, but somehow or another they constructed it to become like an altar. And she used um, Old Testament passages to to uh, work that in about how the altars were not, uh, you know, they were just crude stone, stone, mm-hmm. uh, you know, altars. Dry-fitted. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But Pastor Bross, I mean, how can you argue with her? I mean, this was a word from the Lord <laughs> that came to her heart. You know, I'm 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 speechless. I I think I think here she says less than nothing, frankly, in this whole thing. What do you mean? I think the only the only message is pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and get going. Sure. And that's what my dad used to do when I would go sulk in my bedroom after I got in trouble. I mean, it's, it just seems very weird. Well, what seems weird to me, and I know that you could talk quite a bit about this if you wanted to, these verses that Hannah is elaborating on, they're on screens. I would love to think that there might be somebody at this Flourish conference who, like you, has a Bible open before them and can read the first couple of verses that Hannah leaves out and can see or can ask the question, what does water have to do with this? I mean, it's in the text. What does sin have to do with this? It's in the text. But because it's on the screens, it's like, again, another manipulation technique. I can isolate exactly what I want it to say and put it on the screen 
And lo and behold, there's God's word speaking right to you. That's interesting. That is a super interesting observation about about the effect of the technology in that context. Wow. And you could even put ellipses in. Sure. Just just cut it off in the middle of the verse and say this is verse 26. Huh. Yeah. That gives you a lot of a lot of free reign, doesn't it? Well, we're done with her. We're going to go back Good. to Jacob for just a minute because as I said earlier, I had the opportunity during our Lenten tide to preach a sermon on the woman. She's unnamed in Mark, I believe, but she's named elsewhere. She is the one who anoints our Lord's body for his upcoming burial and doing so with a very expensive bit of perfume. And Jacob is actually going to be preaching on the text, and it perked my ears. So here we go. The title of today's message is Break the Box. Break the Box. And we want to talk about breaking the defaults that we have in our life, breaking some of the things that we've seen, the patterns, the things that we've seen before, breaking average. Now, it's kind of comical because uh, my wife and I, one of our all-time favorite shows is King of Queens, and the lead character, Kevin James, his goal throughout all nine seasons is to remain average. And it's kind of this comedy thing throughout the whole thing. And there's one episode, his wife, heard about a promotion going on at work and she's like, why didn't you go after the promotion? And he's like, I want my life to stay exactly as it is. I don't want anything more. And uh, But I want you to know that maintaining status quo is actually taking you backwards in life. Why? Because life is always moving forward. Life is moving forward. And so if we're going to stay ahead of it, then we're going to have to continue to grow and we're going to have to break the box of average. We're going to have to break some of the mentality, some of the mindsets that are on our life. I can remember when I was uh, a kid and I played three sports in, in school and I thought that was a lot. And that was a lot until uh, I got married and had my first real job. And then I thought that was a lot until then I added kids, uh, a kid and then kids. And then uh, when we planted the church and then even in this season, as we're going after a building, every season, it's like there is, uh, life is moving forward. And so we've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep pushing against average, keep pushing against status quo. Is it a sin if I don't do this? Am I sinning if I don't? push forward. I was going to put it this way. I have sarcastically, I have never heard anything more central to the Christian message than what he's saying. I mean, there's, this is, this is just, this is nowhere to be found. Think about the, what, what is this? Think about the aging community in our congregation. Right. How would this resonate with them? If you said, what he said to our shut-ins. Yeah, it ha- it would have no resonance whatsoever. Um, but but I would let's even talk about whether this would be appropriate homiletically. Okay, so so when you stand in the pulpit and you proclaim the word of God to the people, is this a message found anywhere in the Holy Scriptures? Well, sure. In Habakkuk chapter two, it, <laughs> it talks says about run. It <laughs> says run. 
And that's that means that intensity. Means yeah, and you're going. Presumably, you're running forward. Right. Yeah, with right. intense. Okay, Come got it. Too. Yeah. Come there on. You there Come you on. go. Aren't you a pastor? <laughs> I I cannot believe anybody would devote any time on a Sunday morning to this. This sounds to me like a like an executive coach, right? Who has come in to talk to a bunch of middle managers. You got to keep pushing forward. Well, that is totally, I mean, that is totally what you got to do in the cutthroat world of American corporate life. That is interesting that you use that example because just take a wild guess of a very uh, popular evangelical who does just that. I can't, I can't imagine. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar. There you go. He's, oh, so he's an evangelical. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was just a pep speaker or something. He is, but he's an evangelical, an evangelical guy. Pep so speaker. he's got a he's got a uh, a foot in both worlds, so to speak. I mean, what makes him attractive to the evangelical world is that Zig Ziglar just went and spoke to PepsiCo. Gotcha. This is unbelievable. I mean, this really is unbelievable. But it doesn't have to be Zig Ziglar directly. It can be any of these yahoos that. Uh, that talk about how things in the business slash corporate world relate to truth that is to be found in the church. You just baptize it a little bit, and somehow or another you package it to where a Christian audience would accept it. And see, the, the truth is that average isn't working. Yeah. It's not working. You know, when you think about life and the, the people around us, when you look at people who want to just maintain status quo, the status quo isn't working. Really, everything bad is up in this season with domestic violence, drug abuse, alcohol abuse. And, and you think about the average marriage. What is the average marriage or the average employee or the average person? Well, most of the time, those are pictures of people who are in bondage and held back by fear, and the enemy wants to keep you in a box. What? The average marriage, the average job is bondage? I mean, what is what is he saying here? He's saying that you don't want to have a mundane life, right? Everything goes back to the, you, you can't have a mundane life, and this, this drives me crazy because... There are so many times when life is just mundane. And it has to be that way. And you, the, can't, you can't faithfully fulfill your vocation if, it's, if you don't do some of the mundane stuff. Like a lot of the mundane stuff. Most of the mundane stuff. I still got to take my garbage cans out every, every Monday night. So the sin here, I mean, let's just talk about it if we're thinking about it in term, Christian terms. The sin is, the indication of the sin is average. And what the sin is, is being stuck in a, in a mundane existence. And then you add a mundane Christian life. Just go and get your sins forgiven. And I see. Okay, so it's got to be much more than that. Right. Yeah. Just hear the word of God, yeah. you know, read <laughs> and preached. And... <laughs> Receive Christ's body and blood. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God has bigger things for you, man. But the great thing is, he's going to tell us what he believes that we need to do 
the things that we need to do in order to not have that mundane life. I mean, the sermon is called Break the Box. Well, this will be interesting to see. You sure? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I grow more depressed by the second, but let's see what he has to say. He wants to keep your family in a box. He wants to keep your marriage in a box. He wants to keep your life confined, your potential boxed up. And in Matthew chapter 14, the disciples who were following Jesus, they still had boxed in thinking. But then there was a woman who showed up and she literally broke a box. She literally broke the box and created a model for us. And we're going to look at Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 14. And I, I'm really excited about what God's going to show us here. Let's dive into verse 3. It says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar. In the word jar, it's also translated into flask or uh, it's a vial, or it's a box. In the King James Version, the old school translation says box, so we're going with box. Oh, because it goes well with what the, the thrust of the sermon is. Exactly. That was the first thing that I heard. Total cherry picking, huh? Yeah. And see, in his previous sermon, he was preaching from the Massage Bible. So... Massage. <laughs> so... So now we jump over to the King James Version, where he's right, it, does, it is translated box, and it can be, as he said correctly, it can be vial, it can be box, uh, can be jar, but because the King James says box, see, this is exactly what Hannah did. We hear from the Lord in that 5 to 10% about giving a new heart, we then think through or Google search places that talk about the heart. We find a verse. We come up with some exegesis, and I use that loosely, exegesis of the text, which all focuses around that. That is exactly what he's doing here. It all starts with breaking the box. Right. So can you imagine how this went? You know, I want to break. I got to have a sermon on breaking the box because that'll get people mm -hmm. pumped. Mm-hmm. And boy, where do they talk about boxes? There's the mm. ark. Eh, I don't want to talk about that. Right. You know, I know what I'll do. I'll go. go I'll go to Bible Gateway. Yeah. Yeah. And type in box. Yeah. And see what I come up with. Right. And he finds this one occurrence. Voila. In the KJV. Yeah. And meanwhile, interestingly, he has put the disciples in a box. Yeah. Which the text doesn't, but but he he put them in a box. And so she comes in with this beautiful alabaster box of expensive perfume uh, made from essence, the essence of, of nard. She broke open the box and poured the perfume all over his head. Speaking of Jesus. So here's a little context. Mary, she is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. We're going to talk about that in a second. But during biblical times, what would happen is when a woman would be around the age of marriage, uh, the parents would give her an, a box, an alabaster box, and they would fill it with, um, with with different types of fragrances. And how big the box was, and how expensive the the stuff on the inside really spoke of the family that they came from. And so let's keep going. Verse four. It says, "Some of those at the table were indignant." So she breaks the box, pours this over Jesus's head. 
Is this some of the table were indignant? Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they scolded her harshly. By the way, Judas is probably one of, it, this is plural, so it's more than just one person, but Judas is most likely the person to have spoken up most in this moment. He didn't really care about the poor, by the way. And in verse 6, it says, But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You'll always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. All right, I got no problem with anything he said. It was a little odd about it's a box and based upon how much stuff is in the box or how big the box is, you know, it defined, you know, your family or whatever. I'm not going to take great issue with that, even though I've never read that anywhere. It doesn't matter. The point is what he has said thus far, it was disciples. It was Judas, who probably was the, uh, the person who spoke up the quickest. I got no problem with what he said. The problem comes next. So today we're going to talk about three boxes that Jesus is calling us to break. Wow, that's a quick transition, isn't it? So number one, he has to find Jesus calling us to do this. Which it's not there. It's not there. Second, we've got to find three boxes. All we've got is one alabaster box. Third... We can't do what the woman did anymore because Jesus is risen from the dead. I'm not sure how he's going to dig himself out of this one. He, he's not, and it doesn't matter. I totally cut him off because yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's come up with three boxes that we need to break. Again, this goes back to stuff that we've already listened to. It doesn't matter what he says. None of it, as you just pointed out, is in the text. Jesus is not calling us to do any of it. If I recall, one of them is breaking the box of our destiny. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Right. Why can't we focus? I mean, what is wrong, what is wrong with just focusing on the biblical text of this woman believing exactly who Jesus says he is and believing exactly what is going to happen to Jesus, where he says, I am going to Jerusalem, and I am going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again. I mean, this is a beautiful act of, I wouldn't even say piety. Like, she believes this so fully that she is willing to make a great sacrifice, she takes what is rightfully hers and is, as the text says, very expensive. She takes this and she anoints our Lord even before he makes his way into Jerusalem for you know what we would call Palm Sunday and what we would also call Holy Week. I mean, he's going to die within a week's time, and she, she's the first to anoint his body. She confesses by her deeds. There you go, not, without saying mm-hmm. a word. Yep. She confesses, she believes. Yep. My point is, 
that is a so much more of a richer understanding of the text. Do you know why it is? Why it's a richer understanding of the text? Because, because of what the text says. Right. Exactly. I stuck to the text. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go looking for boxes <laughs> right. that we need to break. Right. Oh, this is pathetic. Well, there's no more to listen to from Good. that. You just kind of you just kind of know it's off base. Yeah. <sighs> Anything more to be said about Jacob and Hannah? Because I've got one more. Uh, yeah, let's let's do one more. Um, and just just note that I'm getting increasingly sad. Oh no! Well, Pastor Bruss, I think you need a new heart. If if you if, if you I get, get those stone stones my, yeah. out of your shoes, and quit walking on those stones. We're going to go back to the Flourish Conference, okay? Because they so had it's it. Hannah. No, no, oh, this isn't Hannah. I know you were. I know you were exhausted by her. We've got a guest speaker at the at the conference, which you know it's typical. I don't know this woman's name. I really don't care to know. It caught my attention again because as as you and I are heavily involved here at church, we're we're going through a class with high schoolers and adults called the Big Bible Brush Up where we're brushing up on some of these uh, Old Testament narratives. There's a lot that everybody knows and then there's, you know, ones that people get a little fuzzy on and there there's some that there's just gaps in people's minds. So the title of her sermon is called Rescuing Eve. So I thought, huh, we're in Genesis, so you know, let me let me take a listen to that. So um, I've cut about half of the sermon out simply because it was just really warming up the crowd. It was more, you know, I, I want to lose weight and, uh, you know, <laughs> muffin top and all this kind of stuff. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm oh, not kidding. Yeah. Silly. So I've I've cut her out oh to the part where she deals with the biblical text, and so let's uh, let's uh, let's give a listen to how she interprets it. As the text continues, it says that the serpent deceived Eve, and so she changed her diet. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust. This is the part I love. I have to tell you this. I haven't always loved this part. This is actually the part where Eve and I had our issue. But once again, you know, we worked it out. I love this part because I think it speaks to the power of how God sees a woman. I love this part because for me, it is a reminder that even when I feel at my lowest, that God sees me in a different light than I see myself. If you can, for a moment with me, just imagine being Eve in this moment. She has ruined it. The fall of humanity, the gateway of sin has come through on the shoulders of a woman. And here she is paying the consequences for her mistakes. I originally did not want to pause her here, but it wasn't just Eve who was carrying the consequence of this sin. The Bible actually says that Eve was deceived, and the one who carried the consequence for the sin to a greater degree, maybe, would be Adam. Or would you say it's equal? I mean, one was deceived, one was not. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Um but anyway, what I'm yeah. saying uh, messes with uh, where she's going to go. Okay, so. gotcha. 
And as she's paying the consequences for her mistakes, I imagine that she felt shame. I imagine she felt the same kind of shame that I felt when I found out I was going to be a teenage mother. I imagine that she felt the same kind of shame that someone else felt when they realized that they had an, an addiction. I imagine that she felt the same kind of shame that so many of us feel when life didn't go the way that we planned. And at her lowest moment, God puts a seed down on the inside of her. At her lowest moment, God gives her the key to her victory at her lowest moment. And it reali I realized in this moment that I have to rescue the Eve that is down on the inside of me because there is a seed down on the inside of that Eve. And that seed is going to unlock the Mary potential that's down on the inside of me. Verse 15 continues after he's cursed the serpent. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's not an uncommon scripture, but I saw it differently. There's the warning sign right there, is it not? Right. So any anybody who's listening to this woman and she says... No, I see it differently. I see it differently. We're getting ready to go off-road at this point. I think she's already uh, she, she already is in the shoulder of the road by talking I mean, about is, this seed the in, seed and the mary seed and the eve seed and the my inner uh, what is that i'm not sure i don't get it well all i've got to say is buckle your damn seatbelt. okay here we go i realized that what god was telling the serpent is that your biggest issue is not that you're going to be cursed more than cattle that your biggest issue is not that you're going to be slithering on the ground and eating dust your biggest issue, your greatest opposition on earth is going to be a woman. A woman? Not the seed of the woman? Yeah, the greatest opposition is actually going to be the Messiah that comes forth from a woman. Right. But not the woman. Not the woman. You know, if you go to Revelation chapter 12, a great sign appeared in heaven. So, uh, going back to our speaker, it is a woman. And she's clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. You know, listen, we say this all the time. Revelation is a book that is written in code, and the key that unlocks the book of Revelation is going to be the Old Testament. And even with that key... Man, some of these locks, wouldn't you say, in the book of Revelation? I mean, you stick these keys in there, and they just don't turn. I mean, we've got commentary after commentary of Revelation, and there's still some very, very difficult parts to, to understand and, to, and the meanings thereof. We just don't know what they, what they are. Right, right. But it's pretty clear what this is. And by the way, uh, Pastor Bruss, again, going through uh, Genesis, where... It hit me the other day as I was looking at this text, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That reminded me of the dream that God gave Jacob, uh, Joseph, Joseph. Yep. right? Referring mm -hmm. to Israel. Yep. Yep. So here's this woman. So basically what that's saying is, here's this woman who comes up out of Israel. She is a true Israelite. She was pregnant. Oh, what do you know? 
and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Nothing, nothing new there. And this is obviously without an epidural. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And here it is. The dragon, this would be the devil, stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So it's a really graphic scene of this woman, really, in the moment of being the most vulnerable that she could be. She's a little preoccupied, is, is my point. She's preoccupied with giving birth. Here's this head of this dragon that is essentially between her legs, ready for this baby to crown. As soon as this baby crowns, he's going to bite it and rip it out of her and devour it like a, a snake with an egg. It's a very, very graphic image. But the point is, the, the dragon's not looking to devour the woman. No. And the woman isn't the one, as you read on, who defeats the dragon. Go ahead. Yeah. She gave birth to a male child, the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, which, I mean, this is clearly the Messiah, the seed born of a woman. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. The point that I was making earlier is, I mean, what does that mean, the 1,260 days? I'm not exactly sure. But the point of what is written here goes right to what you said. The woman or the seed of the woman should be the emphasis. It goes back to what Jacob preached earlier. The box being broken or the one that the oil was anointing? Should that be the emphasis? My point is, it's really characteristic within this Thrive Church to do this exact same thing, even if it's to bring in guest speakers who do the exact same thing over and over and over. And they miss the point. Yeah, it's eye off the, eye off the ball. Yep. They're swinging and missing all the time. That woman with her head held down. That woman who feels like her life could be over. That woman who feels like she's just supposed to exist and that she has no purpose. That woman who is in her most broken state. I'm telling you right now that your biggest issue is not going to be eating dust. Your biggest issue is going to be that woman with her bruised heel. That woman who learned how to walk with a limp. That woman who learned how to take a licking and keep on ticking. That woman who realized that my father left me and I had to learn how to be a woman by myself. That woman who has been walking around Denver, Colorado, wondering how she's going to make it to the other side. That woman who's walking with the limp is going to be your greatest opposition. And I'm going to teach her how to take that bruised heel. I'm going to teach her how to take that thing that you meant for evil and how to lift it up and crush the head of the serpent. I don't know about you, but I shouldn't even be in this room. I don't know about you, but I should be drunk somewhere and crazy out of my mind. I should be walking with a but for some reason I got this crazy revelation that bruised heels still crush serpent's head and now when I wake up in the morning I ask God to point me in the direction of the serpent's head that I'm called to crush well okay if the image is uh 
you know, keeping your eye on the ball. And uh, they've typically been swinging and missing. I I don't even think she's anywhere near home plate and swinging. I would I think mean, I, that she's swinging with a football to hit the baseball at this point. Oh, you know, it's, it's a it's a football yeah, exa- bat. Exactly. <laughs> Tennis rat. I mean, yeah, football bat. I mean, this is just so does everybody know the text? Let's just let's just read the text here. I will put enmity between you and the devil and the woman, between her uh, between your offspring and her offspring. He that is the woman's offspring shall bruise your head, and you, devil, shall bruise the woman's offspring's heel. His. She she has but the Lord gave this to her. This is a new revelation. She, well, she yeah, okay, sees that, it differently. Okay, and that's you in, can't yeah. argue with this. I mean, Apparently you and your religious understanding of the Bible, you theologian, you you can't. God gave this to her heart, and American Christianity is an internal religion, so you can't argue. It's on par with what you're saying is God's word, right? Mm-hmm. So she's got to basically, in her Bible, uh, cut out the his, the, the male reference, put her reference, and um, that's the new authorized version of Scripture. But this is the part that's going to blow your mind. She's going to mention here what the true understanding of the text is. Okay, and, and I'm... Um, but she's still going to set that aside and elevate... I'm wondering this new how, how phallic this is going to get. I hope it won't go in that direction. What do you mean? Well, is the snake phallic? No. No. Okay, good. My gift to you, Flourish Conference, is to teach you how to walk with the limb. I'm here to show you how to take that bruised heel and to crush a serpent's head. You are not random. You are intentional. God has called you to do something in the earth, and if you do not do it, it cannot be done. Yes, you, with your bruised heel. Yes, you, walking with a limp. Yes, you, Eve, Eve, Eve. She's really got the crowd worked up, hasn't she? Over what? A falsehood. T- fault, total falsehood. Total falsehood. It is hard for me. You know, you and I had a conversation, I don't know, two, three weeks ago, talking about journalistic standards. Do you remember that? We were at the coffee shop with Ben, uh, Pastor Mike Hill, and we were talking about, you know, really good journalism. Right. And you were giving your uh, opinions about... What I thought is good journalism, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, Well, here's something. Uh, this I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I went to the store the other day, and I had not been able to find any decent papers there. They had a Wall Street Journal weekend. I picked it up. Chris and I read the paper for four hours on Saturday morning. It was so great. News and context. And... And just to let people know, this is your your this Saturday like, morning routine is to go and get a bunch of papers and bring them home and do exactly what you said. Just read them. Exactly. Yeah. And the difference between a journalistically, I mean, they, they have a newsroom at the Wall Street Journal. You know, there's such a huge difference between reading a Wall Street article and something, um, what, what are they, what's the word called when they aggregate it on, on drudge from some you know, crackpot website where there's absolutely no 
no one to check facts. We've got this stuff going out, going on in, in the world around us. And it's difficult for me to see, to, to unsee how the kind of thing that we're reading here isn't a symptom of or related to that kind of willingness to just fill your mind with, with whatever piece of garbage there might be. So what, you know, what used to be the checks and balances in the church? Well, the checks and balances in the church used to be a seminary education, a, a very rigorous one, it was still maintained in the evangelical Lutheran church, praise God, right? A very rigorous um, uh, uh, education, continued checks and balances through things like circuit meetings and, and other things like that, pastors keeping track of, of each other. That's kind of like the newsroom, right? But like the crackpot stuff that Drudge will pull, not all of it's crackpot, but, but like that stuff, and uh, is, is exactly this kind of thing. It's, it's entirely unmoored from reality, and people have absolutely, I mean, when you hear these women shouting and clapping for this, this is approval. Oh, sure. <laughs> how does a consumer, if, if you'll let me go use this language, how does a consumer of communication allow him, him or herself to become so um, unguarded about what comes in their ears? I mean, she she has literally deconstructed the text. She has made the text literally say, I mean, so... About it, her, not about, about Jesus. No, exactly. You know, it, some of these other ones are kind of fanciful, like they've used the text as a jumping off point to, to make another point that's kind of weird. But, but um, and, and so you might say, well, you know, they're just kind of, the text is is like the end of the diving board, and the and the sermon is really them jumping in the air. This one, she has actually made the text say something different. I don't I don't think those people have in in the, those other instances were well I guess in a few instances they were making the text say something that it doesn't. But this one, she actually has to change words in order to make it fit, and that is. This is crazy. So this has nothing to do with her or you or any of these women at the Flourish Conference stepping on snakes? No. This has nothing to do with her or you or any of these women at the Flourish Conference crushing the devil's head? You mean the text? No, it doesn't. Or walking with a limp? No, it doesn't. And, and unbelievably, when you get to the New Testament, right, Romans sixteen twenty, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Who's doing it? It's the God of peace. It's Jesus, the Messiah. Let me go back to your illustration earlier about Wall Street Journal and the aggregate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Here's the deal. I can, and I know you look at, you know, aggregate stuff too. Mm -hmm. oh, I but do you're all just the time. saying that it's a, you know, there's a vast difference between without the newsroom and with the newsroom or what have you. When it comes to God's word, I can believe things that I read online that don't have a newsroom, but my eternal soul is not based on that. It, there's, no, there's no connection. It is, so-and-so did this. Okay, I can believe that. 
Wall Street Journal says so-and-so did not do that. My Eternity has no bearing on that. But this does. But this does. But this does. Right. I, I agree with you. But I do wonder if 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 an openness um, or or if our culture this is what I'm suggesting that our culture has and I'm sure the church has been like the evangelical church has been cooperative in all of this has created a mindset that makes the culture open to these rank deceptions which you're acknowledging it is a deception absolutely and if it is a deception, then the author of said deception is the father of lies, the devil himself. Exactly. And so about you... whom she's telling lies. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, mm-hmm. so she's not only breaking the second commandment here by blaspheming, telling these people, "Thus saith the Lord," when the Lord never said these things. She's actually being used by the devil to preach lies to these people. Correct. And the, and the church has left itself unprepared, unguarded to deal with precisely such a deception. Now, we already heard from Hannah, who preached at this same conference. Well, one of the clips that I uh, cut out, guess, guess, by the way, who's at the Flourish conference? Matt Harrison? (laughs) Oh, no? Really? Who? Jacob. Oh, Jacob is there. Sure. Okay. He hears this, too. And my assumption is he's clapping just right along with everybody else. Thrive Church is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, it doesn't take too terribly much to listen to some sermons and go, you've got to be kidding me. This is what they're feeding their people? And then the second thought is, this is what these people are eating? Right. It's not force-fed. But any rational person, here's my point, any rational person, any, any person with, who, who, who can see a sign that says stop and say, oh, I better stop, right, should be able to, it, I should stop and not just go through the thing. It doesn't say, the stop sign doesn't say keep on going. It says stop. I know what to do. They should be able to do the same exact thing with with what they're hearing from this church, and they they simply ref, either refuse to or are, are incapable of it. I don't know what the deal is. Well, there's a lot of people who are part of this church. I mean, what little I've investigated, and again, it's not a lot, but um, some of their latest sermons talk about how they've been shut down for really the entirety of COVID, and they've still been able to raise hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars so as to, to move into a, uh, a new facility that they're looking to, to build. So you're saying it's, it's lots of people. I would, I would suggest, this is in Parker, Colorado. Uh, that's a wealthy suburb of Denver. Not only is it lots of people, it's lots of people who are well-educated or should be well-educated and simply are not. I'm going to show you how to crush the serpent's head. I'm going to show you that in this moment, theologians, those of you who study, you know that this is a foreshadowing of Jesus 
That when he says that her seed is going to crush your head, he's talking about ultimately how Mary is going to come and give birth to the Messiah. Which means that in that moment, Eve was like pregnant with Mary. This is the part that blows me away. She knows it to be about Jesus. That What she just said is gold. That is the truth right there. And she's willfully misreading it. Yes. Yes. But that little, that little snippet, that's all you're going to get. Of, she's, tru- of truth. Right, because mm-hmm. she's going to go right back to what she's been talking about. And that is deception right there. Intentional deception. Correct. Yes. Which means that the moments that you felt the most broken, you were also pregnant with the gateway of divinity. Which means that when I was 13 years old and looking at a pregnancy test, that I thought I was looking at shame, but heaven was looking at a ministry. And I wonder what heaven has been looking at when it sees your life. I know all of us want to be married, but what I'm telling you is that Eve has your promise and Mary has your ability. And if you would ever get crazy enough to join the two together, then you would be an unstoppable force in this earth that no devil in hell could ever come up against you because you know what you learned how to do I learned how to survive the worst thing the devil ever did to me was teach me that I could survive that I could lift my hands in worship even when I was weary when I found out I could survive I became crazy like this spiritual gangster who wanted to go to war with the devil like a spiritual gangster who felt like I could break a curse off of my daughter like this spiritual crazy gangster I know that's not cute or churchy but I'm just telling you how I feel every time I grab a microphone I ask God to point me into the direction of a serpent's head that I'm called to crush. I got a question for you, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're married, correct? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Your wife has children? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me what their names are? They are Caroline, Grayson, Molly, and Owen. Did she have a child named Jesus? No, she did not. She didn't? No. Messiah? No. No? No. Emmanuel? Um, No, no. No, she didn't? Mm -mm. (sighs) Mm-mm. So do you think that this prophecy is about Edith? My wife? Yes. No. Who is it about? It is about the seed of the woman. It's about Jesus Christ. Oh, it's about and Ch- him only. Yes. So what did you think? Uh, I mean, this is, thri- uh, yeah. listen, if you want to thrive, if you really want to thrive, I would, I would assume you go to Thrive Church. And what you're going to hear at Thrive Church is how to receive clarity from God how to get receive a new heart, how to break a box for God, break out of the box, and then how to what be, crush be, crush the devil's head or become something? Mary the mother of our Lord. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I mean, sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Boy, I'll tell you what, it's a winner church. If if everybody's doing all those things, that is a bunch of winners. A bunch of winners. You know, interestingly though. I think we have a different description of the church. Let's hear it. You ready for it? I am. Okay. I can't wait. I'm. Are you going to use your breathy voice? And <gasps> I, I am. Uh, I gonna, am not. Gonna, okay. Uh, Here we go. You're going to take your shoes off like Hannah did? Nope. No? I will not. Okay. I will not. Here we go. Consider your calling, brothers. First Corinthians one. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to naught the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and our redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We have heard four homilies having to do with nothing but boasting in oneself and certainly not boasting in the Lord, having to do with the human strengths and potentials that we all have and not the weaknesses and foolishness that uh, the Lord uh, chooses uh, in, to redeem. This is um, bad stuff. So let's make a turn here. So the Lord, so we've looked at one church, just one. There's thousands of churches in America alone that are doing the exact same thing. Now, sadly, we are exporting this all over the world. So let's just stick with continental USA. Thousands upon thousands of churches that are doing the exact same thing. Thing and the Lord sees it all. Can and, and we wonder why we have a year of COVID. Exactly. Can we wonder why COVID comes and starts shutting down the churches, many of which will never open again? And there are some faithful churches in there that will never open again. Mm -hmm. But there are clearly unfaithful churches that will never open again. You tell me, good thing, bad thing. That's a good thing. Yes, it is. That's the Lord cl cleaning his church, cleansing his church. And see, if you were to say those words, because I have. I mean, I've talked to people, and this is outside of our congregation, just in daily kind of interaction with people, especially when we were more at the height of the pandemic. People asking, you know, what do you think? Well, I would say exactly what you said. Well, the Lord is using this to winnow his church. You, you, how, how dare you even consider that God would use something like this. Everything is done for the consideration of his church. Everything. Right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And you look at, you know, the pattern. This is his bride. Right. And he's going to make sure she's she's healthy. There you go. So you look at the history of Israel and, um, you know, the battle there uh, was between the false god Baal and Yahweh, right, the true god. Um, and, uh, there's this cyclical thing where the Lord visits plagues and droughts and, uh, military defeat and you name it, disaster after disaster upon the children of Israel for their faithlessness. Today, the idol isn't a Baal. It's not, it's not carved out of stone. It is me. That's that's the idol that has been erected th th erected in the church. This is why you know there are no crosses on the on, on these stages in these churches. They, uh, you know, and symbolically to me this is so interesting. What do they put up in front of them? I mean, the the focal point is a man who wears you know the 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 jeans that he pays extra dollar for at the buckle. The and designer T-shirt that is cut just enough so you can see the tattoo on his arm. 
that is me. It's me. It's a projection of me. This is what um, what is being worshipped. And if we think that the Lord is going to let this stand for long, uh, we got another thing coming. Well, lots to digest here. I guess as in conclusion, what we would say is this. You and I both believe, as we have said, that the Lord has brought this pandemic upon this country to winnow his church and really call all people to repentance, as you said earlier, because death is coming for us all, whether it's in a, a virus or a Mack truck or a cancer cell, whatever the case may be. So this time next year, the number of churches, they're going to be a lot less. Yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to see what that number is, but I, I agree. I think it's going to be a lot less. So if somebody is attending a church like this now, what would you suggest? I mean, I would suggest, I would suggest they do exactly what Habakkuk. I would say, <laughs> I, I, would, I was going to say the same exact thing. Exactly the same exact Chapter thing. Chapter two, man. Yep. Run away from these places. Right. And don't run to nowhere. I mean, run to a, a faithful, a faithful congregation and don't um, be deceived. You know, the, uh, the criterion, this is why I was talking about the news stuff earlier on, right? Um, you might read one of those crackpot pieces, you know, um, that, that drudge aggregates and call it news. It's not news. The same thing is true of a sermon, just because the scriptures are referred to does not make it a biblical sermon and and therefore doesn't even make it a sermon. I think I would argue that nothing that we have listened to here even qualifies as a sermon in the smallest bit. Look at the apostolic kerygma in the book of Acts. It all drives to the redemption in Jesus. I mean, that's the model of a sermon. The scriptures are used to point to Jesus Every one of these has been used to point to me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity. Yep. Well, there's the music, Pastor Bross. It has been a delight to be with you. Thank you. you, you surprisingly, you made it through all four of these homilies. I, I was, uh, it, it took everything I had. And I am, I am still sad, sadder than when I started. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bross. If you'd like to support the work they do, go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken. <laughs>